Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for The Everyday Guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Hey, welcome to Blue Wire. After you finish listening to this awesome Blue Wire podcast, make sure you check out the other pods in our Blue Wire family. Okay, I know, you're probably wondering, how do I do that? Well, it's simple. Go to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and search Blue Wire. Ta-da! They will all be there, so have fun listening. Welcome to the Chase Town Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Rowan. The Cavaliers lost yesterday, but it's okay. We don't need load management. We don't need anything like that. We're, we're back at it. We're ready to do a back-to-back. Uh, with me to help break everything down is my co-host, Carter Rodriguez. Carter, how's it going, buddy? I have personally really started to enjoy how how much less interested on an episode-by-episode basis you've gotten in saying what the last thing the Cavs did was. <laughs> it's, well, I, I mean, how it's much analysis do you have? right to feel this way, but it's noticeable. <laughs> my, my sons played well, Jetty and Colin. Uh, they, they both tore it up. But, I, I mean, at this point, we're, we're really wrapping things up. We got about a week left here, two, two weeks, I guess. And uh, then it's just hoping and praying for the lottery. But uh, enough about us, enough about Carter's grievances with the way I intro the pods. We got a special guest today. Uh, Today we have Spencer Davies, uh, NBA coverage for B-Ball Insiders, but most importantly, based out of Cleveland. Uh, So Spencer is one of the few people, uh, one of the few survivors on on the Cavs beat, and we're very, very appreciative to have him on. Spencer, how's it going, man? Thanks for having me on, first of all, guys. And secondly, uh, you guys were the creators of the Mad Max uh, Photoshop. I just wanted to put that out there. <laughs> and I use that anytime I go to a cast practice and nobody's there. Oh, it's that. only happened a couple of times. What a lovely it is, day. I, I am pretty privileged and, and happy to have that, at least. Well, I, I think we're fortunate because you don't just cover the Cavs. Like, you, you do talk about other teams. Uh, you, uh, you had a great story about uh, Al Farouk Aminu and 
the impact Richard Jefferson had on in his career. But uh, just because you're you're always around the team and there's so few people that are, are still left on the beat after the, the departure of LeBron, um, it's uh, it, it's been really really good to ha- to have you on the beat and, and providing consistent insight because that's uh, that's definitely been something that's lacking. Well, I think in the biggest part here is that you know I'm trying to build relationships with the team as best as I can, just because I'm also growing with the team, so to speak. I mean, I, I've covered the Cavs for the last three years or so. I mean, I've been around the team for like the last five, but like legitimately covered probably the last two seasons full. Right. But before that, like, I mean, I'm, I'm just trying to, you know, gauge the environment around me. And I think, you know, building relationships with those players has helped me, you know, get better insight, like you said, and, and also kind of just manufacture these stories I'm getting out, but also getting to know these guys as people too. like the stuff I do for Close Up 360 founded by Jared Zwirling. He used to work for the uh, Players Association. And I'm doing great stuff, uh, you know, with them and, and talking about off the court interests. And I think that that has allowed me to, you know, kind of establish a more personal relationship with a lot of the players and even executives, um, it, you know, to, to basically kind of further my career. Yeah. I mean, this, if anything, like we always joke that like one of my favorite jokes at least is that uh, Cleveland's economy wasn't based on LeBron James, but Justin and I's was. <laughs> um in a lot of ways like you know when you look at the you know from a journalist standpoint like one of the things that comes with lebron is just such a saturation of media where you know there's just i've been in some of those scrums uh for games that didn't even matter and it's just an army of people you know only a select few really get access to lebron you know, you can talk to people, but it's it's going to be busy. You're very rarely going to get kind of much privacy. Um, it, it is that is you know one of the few net positives of LeBron leaving and the team kind of going into the crapper early in the season is all of a sudden it's like open floor. You can talk to pretty much whoever you want to. Yeah, you're right. And uh, what's funny is you know if you talk about those scrums, I went to my first ever all-star game and had my, my experience, you know, covering that entire weekend and event and the the scrum size for LeBron at that event made me immediately think to myself, actually, I turned over and looked over to Varden. I said, I do not miss this. (laughs) (laughs) I was underneath a speaker trying to record a video on my phone, which was shaking while another media member from across the nation or potentially from even another country, I can't even remember, but someone was taking a picture with LeBron talking in the background and my phone was shaking so badly that I was like, all right, I can't post any of this crap because <laughs> I'm standing there. And I've also, held that phone up. It's man, not- your arm starts to quiver the oh, worst yeah. way. And I mean, it still happens when I do it like in, in the locker room and I'm trying to get my videos out because that's pretty much you know what I've done over the last couple of years is try to get more video content out. I've got my you know, handy dandy microphone and whatever you have it. But uh, that holding your arm for 10, you know, 15 minutes straight, man, that's like a work. That's the worst angle. Oh, yeah. my God, yes. <laughs> and, and it's not like LeBron's a quick answerer where you can like – and like and if you seed any ground, it gets swallowed up immediately. So it's like, all right, this is my angle. I'm going to stand here. And yep, hope yep, the video is fine. <laughs> got it right i'm i'm at least fortunate it's a fortunate for me at least because 
I am like, you know, six, six foot, six, one, six, two on a good day, depending on what shoes I'm wearing. De- so, depending if it's uh, the Tinder bio or <laughs> if, if, if yeah, it's yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Tinder, Tinder, uh, on, Tinder, a little, I'm, on Tinder, I'm 6'3". <laughs> 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 a little old at this point, boys. Come on. It's Hinge and Bubble. Now, Listen, I, I, I've, I've been on. off the market for a while, so I, I don't know what the new thing is. Before we move <laughs> on, and I, so hit... I think Tinder came out about three months after I started dating Kylie. So I never got on any of them. Ah. Um, yeah, we believe you. Chill. Um, but can I just say Hinge is such an awful sounding app name? <laughs> it sounds greasy and oily. And it's just it just does not inspire a, a positive love connection. <laughs> I get what they're saying. They're saying like they're the hinge to the door that you know will connect you but the the practice is that what they're saying it's bad yeah. i'm just Excuse thinking of like a floppy hinge that isn't attached to a door yeah. that's that's the image that comes to mind there i just think of touching it and then i need to wash my hands <laughs> can i can i say one thing uh i just thought of something when we were talking about you know recording videos and, and holding your arms up and stuff i actually there was a really short answer that i got from lebron a i think it was it was the beginning of the 2016-17 season. Okay. Or was it the beginning? Yeah, no, yeah, it was. Um, so I had asked LeBron, and this, this is one of my you know, mistakes that I made early in my, in, in my career, I guess you could call it, um, was that Dan moved back the opening night and, jerseys, or, and uh, trophy celebration because the Indians were actually playing the World Series on the same night. Mm-hmm. So I had asked, you know, Ty Lue and, and a couple other players because I was working on a story like about, you know, how, what that says about him as an owner to do that for the city of Cleveland so that they could get the best of both worlds. So <laughs> I asked LeBron this question and I was so unprepared for him to look back at me because I said, what does it say about him as an owner uh, and as a, you know, supporter of Cleveland? Right. And he looks back and he goes, I don't know. What's it say? <laughs> and, and dude, I froze. Uh, I froze so hard, and I just blurted out something. I was like, uh, "That it says something good about Cleveland." And then he just shrugged his shoulders, and that was one of those moments where I was like, "Well, damn, <laughs> you got to yeah. be careful." You well, now ask. you you got to experience what it's like to defend LeBron on a fast break. You, you had to think on your feet and, and make a bit yeah, of a dude. Business. And sometimes you just... I, I was the proverbial Damon Jones on that one. <laughs> well, I, if it makes you feel better, I've, I've told this story before, but uh, my, I really capitalized on LeBron returning because... Uh, so my first time going to see a game in Cleveland was actually LeBron's last game in Cleveland as a member of the Heat. And then I had covered a uh, game, uh, Cavs were playing the Rockets that week. And um, I, I went, my first interview was with Anthony Bennett, rookie Anthony Bennett. And I went to sit down in the chair next to him, which was in Anderson Bergeau's locker and just tried to get anything out of Anthony Bennett. About midway through talking to him, I realized uh, David Savak was throwing me looks. So I had to stand up very quickly. And uh, at the end, uh, Bennett dapped me up a little bit, but man, it was tough to get, to get a, an answer out of him. And he was probably, Probably a little, a little curious about what the hell I was doing there as well. 
Yeah, yeah. I've had a few of those. I, I, I've had a few instances where I've been in the locker room and I, you know, had violated some NBA policies when I was like younger, when I was like, when I was interning under Sam Amico actually at the time. And I had taken some pictures of, you know, Kyrie and, and Dion in the, in the locker room. And then I, I just got the just finger wag. No, no, it. can't post those. Can't post those. <laughs> uh, I think I've yeah, a little there bit. Are, there are more rules than people, uh, you know, even if you there went are. to high school. There are. certain stuff that, you know, you'll just catch people being like, whoa, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Like, I can't tell you how many events I've had to stop someone from posting a picture of their credential. <laughs> oh, yes, cred- yeah. yeah, credentials was huge. You just I, want to take a so, picture. You just want to prove to everyone that you're legit. Exactly. Your only I, way to do so. That's <laughs> the mindset, right? I mean, after I covered my first finals, which was the 2016-17, yeah, 2016-17, mm-hmm. um, I had done a black and white photo. I put up, you know, my suit and my, you know, my peacoat with, with my credentials dangling. Uh, in, in black and white, just because I thought it was a good picture. And I was like, hey, man, little, you know, artsy touch to it. I had to I had to put the Instagram touch to it. Yes. Yes. Uh, and I said, I was like, man, like legitimately from the bottom of my heart, I was just like, this is an amazing experience. I can't believe I did this, blah, 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 whatever it was. And <laughs> my boss immediately texted me and goes, take that the hell down. What are you doing? <laughs> and I'm like, but the event's over. What does it matter? Apparently, people just copy and paste the images of the credentials and try to get in, and they've had problems with it before. So I've yep. you know, been smart about it since. And, and I mean, I'm just collecting all the credentials, hopefully, to make a cool collage later on. Uh, but it, it, from this point on, I have Career's never posted over. anything. <laughs> um, <laughs> Career's done. It's over with. Which might happen after this podcast. And so, like, it could. Yeah. It could. Um, mentioning, purely mentioning a credential could get us out. You know, <laughs> you can't roll it out. Uh, you've covered this team all year, and the general vibe from our seats, you know, from a from a distance. And you know, I do think one thing that Justin and I really lose by me living in Columbus, and before that, Chicago, and uh, Justin living in Winnipeg, is you know, we're not local, we're not on site, we're not at these games. It's been a weird year, but in big stretches, it was pretty tough. What's been the vibe like in the locker room over the course of the year? Over the course of the year, it's changed a lot. I mean, I can give you the present right now. It's extremely healthy. Uh, mm-hmm. Guys are sticking around. Like like I, I said something earlier today about how Collins, you know, not only maturing on the court, but off the court as well. He's, you know, really getting along in media sessions. Um, he had the chance to duck out yesterday while people were interviewing Larry Nance and looked over at one of the PR guys and said, no, nah, I'll, I'll stay. Uh, which is something he would never have done earlier in the year. Um, and he's not just, you know, giving, you know, cliche answers and stuff. He's legitimately like trying to think and, and give people some, some good information. Um, you know, I think that the relationships between the players is even better too, because they're, they're communicating with one another before the media sessions even start, you know, um, and, and they're, you know, kind of, it's more, I don't know what's a good risk. Healthy, I guess. Healthy right. is the way I could describe it. Um, early in the year, it was a little bit tight. Um, uh, admittedly, in the you know the first couple months, uh, but that was when, when Jr. Smith was around, essentially. <laughs> well, you know, Jr. Smith, uh, you know, Rodney Hood, and and George Hill, and all them, and that's nothing against those guys. It's just that they didn't want to be in this environment at the time. 
right. because things were going downhill fast. As soon as Kevin Love went down, they were, you know, 0-6 out of the gate. Coach Lou got fired. And, I mean, it, w- it was just the worst possible scenario of how to start the new, you know, the new era. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that obviously got off to the, to the, the worst possible, you know, off to the worst possible foot that it could have. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's a lot better now. And, and in the middle of the season, it was a little bit, eh. but they, they've come together well. And I think that's a huge testament to the job that uh, Larry Drew's done. Absolutely. And I, I think like one of the interesting things to me, and I, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there, that it's understandable that those guys, I mean, Rodney Hood and George Hill, they were brought in to be on a contender. Uh, J.R. Smith, a uh, bunch of finals trips in a row and just a complete shift in expectations and, and goal of the team. Cause I, I think uh, they went into this season trying to see exactly what they had. And, and once Kevin Love went down, uh, it was clear that there just wasn't going to be any way to salvage this season if he's out until the all-star break. So I think the, the team made the correct kind of change of course there, but that obviously wasn't going to sit well with all the veterans and, um, while it's understandable that the guys that got moved uh, wanted to move on, I've also been really impressed in how Tristan Thompson and Kevin Love have stepped up. Because it, it's not just them stepping up because uh, the team has needed more from them on the court when they're available. But after that many finals trips and, and after all they've been through in their careers and with the injuries they've had as well, for them to not check out and, and kind of step up on the bench and step up in leadership roles. And, and you hear uh, Colin Sexton, Jetty Osman, and, and those guys really kind of praise their roles as veterans. I, I've been really impressed with how bought in they are. Um, can can kind of shed some light on, on the role that those guys have played behind the scenes? Yeah, yeah. And, and I completely agree. And I think that that's an, a thing that was passed on to them by LeBron as much as people, you know, like to, you know, say bad things about LeBron around here sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a, that's a quality that Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson did not have before he got to Cleveland. And right. um, you can just tell through their, their demeanor, through their answers um, on the court, you can tell that they're always giving in 110%. Um, you, you know, and that's a good example to set for some of those young guys. I mean, they're the guiding voices of the squad right now. And that, that includes Channing Fry as well, uh, who was a part of the, the championship team and in, in that whole run as well. Right. Uh, but yeah, I wonder they, how much they're going to miss Fry next year. Um, it does feel like he's kind of, um, in a lot of ways, like the light, light in the dark for this team when things aren't going well, like, he we he famously kind of gets credit for save, helping save the team's chemistry when he was traded uh, there during the title season. Uh, really helps lift up Kevin Love because I do think like sometimes when people think of the guys like James Jones, like you think of them like being like the mentors that take the rookies under their wings. But I think sometimes the best veteran leaders are the ones that actually provide a backstop for your stars. And I think that's kind of where Fry has so much value in how much respect Kevin Love has for him, too. Oh, without a question. And, and yes, that presence will definitely be messed in the locker room next year. And, and you just don't know how, how guys can, can you know, adjust to not having such a jokester in the locker room. You know, he's the most easygoing guy you'll, you'll ever meet in, in, in sports, maybe even in, in the world. He's just <laughs> – he's awesome. No, Channing's great. 
Um, all he does is, is just mess around. He's, he's always got, you know, a lighthearted joke ready for you every time you talk to him. And, uh, that's definitely something they're going to miss. And we'll see how, you know, Kevin does without him, um, and Tristan for that matter. Uh, but I think that, that those two in, in particular just have grown so much, uh, because of those championship years and their abilities to guide the young guys to winning habits is huge. I mean, and you can see it on the floor with, with Jetty and Colin specifically. Absolutely. And I mean, I've, I've expressed my hope to Carter before. Um, and I, I really hope that Channing kind of steps into the Juwan Howard role with the Cavs because he just strikes me as the guy, type of guy that always wants to be around people and wants to be in these environments. And especially if like, let's say Luke Walton ends up being the, the next Cavs coach or something like that, who, who obviously has a relationship with Channing. It'd be really funny to see him kind of stick around in that role or at least be around a little bit. Um, that, that would bring me a lot of joy. Cause I, I think you're right that how lighthearted he is and, and just kind of his, his whole persona. Like, I, I think it adds something to a team, especially with, uh, young guys like Sexton and, and, and Jetty who, when they're going through a bit of a slump, they might be a little too down on themselves that they might get a little too frustrated after a loss and having a veteran that can kind of put things in perspective and, and kind of ease the tension. I, I think that's really, really valuable for a team. I, no, I'm really yeah, interested no in, I'm really interested in Fry's post-career um, decision-making because with RJ, it was so clear that this was the, that road trip in was a precursor to a career in media in a way that I'm not sure it's been that obvious for someone like Channing, like, Channing was like almost felt like he was a little bit along for the ride. So, right. I mean, do you foresee a career in media for Channing, or do you do we think, I, or do you think he'll go in the Justin route where uh, Justin's proposed route, where it's <laughs> you know go be an assistant? You don't think he's going to be a podcaster in Winnipeg? <laughs> <laughs> that that would be, still be a podcaster. The Justin that, that would be that would be an all no one no one no NBA player is ever going to go the Justin route. I'm sorry, Justin. <laughs> Hey, I mean, a lot of NBA players are going the Justin route right now. There's a lot of podcasting out there and it stuff. It's not and in that Winnipeg. Actually, <laughs> yeah, maybe not in Winnipeg. Okay, I'll give you that. <laughs> but with, with Channing, I think that he's got the possibility of becoming a broadcaster, but I don't know if he's going to want to do it right away, uh, whereas, whereas Rich was just ready to do it. <laughs> just as soon as he got off the court, he was ready to boom, right into these TV appearances and boom, right into the Yes Network. Um, I Rich, think that the, Richard is like Tony Romo esque in the sense that I really think his broadcasting career might eclipse his playing career if he so if he really goes for it. Oh, he's a he's a natural at that he's a natural at that stuff, man. He really is. Um, and and you know that all started pretty much when he was started to play with the Cavs. He was doing all those stuff with Fred McLeod and the post games, and then he started road tripping with Allie, uh, and then that just kind of took off. So. That's why he's doing that. But Channing, on the other hand, while he's good at it, I don't know if he necessarily will want to do it. That's that's pretty much how I how I view it. Mm -hmm. um, I think that he's going to do a lot of work with his foundation after he's done when he's retired. Uh, I think that he'll have some guest appearances here and there, maybe. Um, it, yeah, in, Justin, you might be right. He could be like a consultant or something with the Cavs, or or right. maybe with another team. Who knows? Um, but he's going to be set for his uh, his post career life for sure. 
I'm always surprised when guys jump into a gig right away after retiring. I'm taking at least a year, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just enjoy the entire, just enjoy retirement. Just go beach to beach. Oh yeah, I'm taking a year long vacation. <laughs> I, I feel like to some extent Channing's had a bit of that this year though, where like there's not a whole lot of expectations for him. Uh, but I guess there is still the traveling and going with the the schedule, going to practices, going to shoot around and stuff Stay like in that. Shape. Yeah, I, but I, I definitely like the idea of just an open door policy for anybody that wants to come by for like a consultant thing. Like uh, RJ, before he had fully went on with uh, Yes Network, I know he had come by the, the Cavs for like a, a week or so there. And um, basically, who, whoever wants to come back from that team, I, I think is is going to be welcome uh, unless they have load management issues. <laughs> I know you guys probably saw that video that what Kevin said about Kyrie, by the way, just about how the city will still embrace him and stuff like that. I did. Uh, which he, he truly, he truly feels that way, by the way. He, oh, he, you know, I fully, I fully believe that. Rolling. Yep. He, yeah. He's a hundred percent supportive um, and, and thinks that the city would embrace him. So that's just something I want to add in. Yeah. Kevin doesn't really strike me as the type of guy that says a lot of things that he doesn't actually mean. Like he, he's, it's, it's actually kind of funny to see the the transition from him being a little prickly at times in Minnesota. Um, and then just trying to stay out of the way early on in Cleveland to just being more and more kind of comfortable in his own skin here. It's, it's been a transition I really enjoyed. And I, I had I had written before the season that I really wanted the Cavs to to offer up an extension to Love and say, hey, we're going to move some veterans. We're, we're going to rebuild a little bit, but the intention is for a quick rebuild where, where you're going to kind of be the centerpiece. And, and my whole philosophy with that was he, he had actually been pretty happy in Minnesota. Like I, I think he's like the type of guy that if you do right by him, he's he's happy. And it wasn't really until they were like, no, we're going to save our max for Ricky Rubio that things started to go a little bit south there. Uh, so it, it has been enjoyable to, to see a guy that is a big personality and is someone that has a lot to say um, kind of get a little more comfortable in his own skin. No doubt. And, and he loves it here, man. He loves it here. Uh, and, and he wants to be here. And, and for everybody that's clamoring to trade Kevin Love as they were the same way when LeBron was here, I still don't get it. Uh, he's, he's a tremendous leader on and off the court. Um, he's a great basketball player when he can stay healthy, which obviously he's had some issues with. But if they can, you know, get the medical staff to, to make sure that he's keeping his body right and, and staying, you know, on the right course, then they should be fine. I, there's no reason to move him because here, here's my biggest reason is the Cavs aren't going to get back what they want for Kevin Love. Right. And they don't want to move him. So you'll have to blow them away in order to even consider such a thing. Yeah, my, my go-to term throughout this is, like, the juice is not going to be worth the squeeze to trade Kevin Love. Like, you have to, like, the Cavs have to value him like the rest of the league values him in order to trade him. And they don't. They right. value him more. Now, they, if they valued him like NBA Twitter values him, they'd trade him for a ham sandwich. Oh, my God. Don't get me started on NBA uh, Twitter. A ham yeah. sandwich sans the ham. I keep, I keep, I keep yeah, well, a lot actually, of my tweets. Actually, <laughs> a, a certain um, cap space-based podcast might tell you that, it's, that he would be valued like a ham sandwich with, um, with meat that's gone bad because he's, in fact, a negative <laughs> asset. He hurts you. He's got... <laughs> 
he's got the third worst contract in the NBA per them. So I'm, I mean, well, we're a little mini. Go, go ahead, ahead, go Spencer. ahead. No, you go okay. ahead. I'm, I'm the Canadian. Okay. I'm no. going to be polite here. <laughs> Thank you. Just my little mini rant. A lot of people don't value these NBA players as people and people healthy culture is everything in this league. You can't just go around like it's a 2K game and try to say, okay, boom, he's going to go here. He's going to go here. And we're going to bring in this all-star, bring in this all-star. And it looks like that with some of these super teams. But if you notice, some of these super teams have their fair share of issues. And you look at teams like the Clippers and the Pacers, those have the healthiest locker rooms. And that's why they're overachieving. And Mm -hmm. I think the Cavs use that exact same model to, you know, kind of further their franchise. Yeah, my, my big thing is I, I think a franchise is really only as healthy as its best player. Like, even a team as stable as the Spurs, they had their, their season kind of derailed by Kawhi Leonard. Uh, Golden State, hey, everything's kumbaya in, until you start to have a little bit of time together. Draymond isn't healthy, you have the pressure of Durant leaving. That kind of gets things to fall apart. And obviously things are a little different now uh, just because the expectations aren't there. Uh, the, the Cavs aren't contending. But it really does seem that after the initial turbulence of this season and, and kind of weeding out uh, to determine who exactly wants to be there, after that point, it just it, it seems like it, it's been a more healthy locker room than, than any other point that I, I can really remember with this team. Yeah, you're definitely right about it. And, and they – you can just sense it. You can just sense it when you walk in. Now, you know, on the floor, it's a lot better at home than it is on the road. You know, you can just, you can say that. Uh, and right. this, this West Coast well, trip might, you know, might, might be a nice little test. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but yes, culture, I think, has to come first. And I know it's a buzzword, but it's, it's true. Environment is everything. At least in my eyes, that's how I see it. Carter, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. The, uh, the realities of the draft lottery are kind of freaking me out, and it's making me question my own mortality. It's going to make me question the things that are uncertain in life and, and just adding so much stress. Well, Justin, the draft and the lottery, it's stressful. But you know it shouldn't be stressful? What's Getting that? life insurance. That's why there's Ethos. Ethos is a modern kind of life insurance. It's super fast, incredibly affordable, and very uncomplicated. Every time I do this part of the read, Justin, yeah. I think the first time you read it and you accidentally said it's a kind of modern life insurance. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like you were hedging how modern it was. It's very modern, ladies and gentlemen at getethos.com. There's no medical exams for policies covering under a million dollars, no hours of paperwork or meetings with pushy representatives. It only takes 10 minutes to apply and you can rest assured knowing you've taken steps to protect your family. And in most cases with Ethos, you can have that peace of mind for less than a cup of coffee a day with no hidden fees. That's less than a cup of coffee a day. Wow. Life insurance can free you from stress. Getting life insurance shouldn't cause it. Discover how uncomplicated life insurance can be at Ethos. Get your free instant quote and submit your complete application in minutes. Just go to getethos.com. That's E-T-H-O-S. Getethos.com. Getethos.com. And now, back to our interview with Spencer Davies. Yeah, I just can't figure out how much it's going to carry over. And, like, you know, like, it does still feel like most of the good vibes come from when the, like, it 
you know, I always joke, um, you know, he, he's an amazing, amazing writer, so I don't want this to be a, an actual dig, but I always joke how Kevin Arnovitz tends to fall in love with uh, certain teams' cultures, and those teams just all happen to be winning. Yeah. <laughs> so he'll always just be like, oh, yeah, and these guys just play for each other, and it all just comes together for wins. I'm like, yeah, they're winning. I, That's honestly, <laughs> I the one part I really enjoy about it is that he's been doing it for so long that he can still spend a week with a team and just become completely enamored with them just and just love. Really, just love all the personalities and just the little intricacies that, that make them, them tick. Like, I, I do appreciate that. And it is refreshing because even from a distance, you can become a little bit jaded. Like, yeah, it's what I would do, actually, though. It's like, oh, you talk to these guys and, they, and they're telling you all this good stuff about how they like each other and how they all work hard together <laughs> like yeah i'm in so like i never really know you know like if, if it's a chicken or the egg thing like oh, did the Cavs seem happier because kevin love is back and made them look better on the court and they won a few games and it's fun to win games to know they like each other i you know i think it's got to be somewhere in the middle where you know i think your culture kind of gets you through lean times and pushes you through um, you know, hey, it's never going to be fun to lose, but we're not going to quit on each other and let things get toxic. Maybe that's what culture does. Well, there's there's these things, you know, at post game when Larry Nance talks mostly, he's he's talking about how much the team's grown in a sense that they're not folding once you know runs are made, and I, he's he thinks that's the biggest place that they've grown in that in that area. Like for example, against the Celtics yesterday, Celtics get up twelve but they cut it back down to five or there's opportunities where they were facing the, the bucks, I think uh, beforehand and they had cut the, the bucks had gone up by like 14 or 15 and then they cut it down to like six, you know, it, it's those types of situations where, where the leaders of the team like seeing the growth because the young guys aren't folding. So they're not folding and they want to play and keep playing and keep pushing and refuse to pretty much give it, give it in. And that's something they were not doing in the middle of the season before the All-Star break. They were getting blown out. I think there were a couple of, you know, 20, 20 plus point, point losses. Yeah, it was like 15 in a row. Loss. It was depressing as hell. Yeah, yeah. It was a tough time. It was a really tough time. Uh, <laughs> that's, so, uh, that's, that's, I still feel like all the people talking about how fun this Cavs season have been, I'm like, you remember that, right? <laughs> like, well, there's different third, the third of the season. How about this is the season where you actually have NBA players playing, and then there's the season before that where you had guys, no disrespect to them because I, I love the G League and everything, but you had G Leaguers starting next to rookies who were playing in 10-day contracts. Yeah. All of that slopped onto the court, which was unfair for anybody to criticize because you had literally nothing to work with at that time. <laughs> and now you have an all-star back. You have a – an NBA starting center back. You have all these guys returning to play next to your guys who you want to, to, to develop next to, and it's working. And you're actually seeing a product on the floor that they can be proud of and what they wanted to see in October, but they couldn't. That, that's, yeah. that's what I see. Yeah. Speaking of the, that development, I mean, the way Colin Sexton has turned around his season and – and his reputation among um, a lot of people has been pretty amazing. And I mean, like 
I've said a lot, like we made fun of the Cavs for talking exclusively about his work ethic and character after they drafted him instead of talking about how good of a basketball player he was. And then it's like, oh, maybe they were had maybe they were on to something a little bit. How do you think that he is um how do you think the rest of the Cavaliers uh in what regard do they hold Colin Sexton then? They're they're visibly excited about his development. Um they they talk about how he has improved his decision making and, and that's the number one thing. Uh you you'd see a, a ton of times, uh, especially earlier in the season where Colin would put up a shot three seconds into the shot clock and it'd be a mid-range shot contested. Um, you'd see, you know, times where he'd drive to the hole and try to finish over guys who were seven foot, which they would block the hell out of him. Uh, you'd see times where on defense and in pick and roll situations, he'd go under and leave a guy wide open on the perimeter. You know, those types of situations is where he's co- uh, come farthest in that amount of time. Now you see him, since he's developed this three-point shot, by the way, 41% uh, is ridiculous this time. Um, he's you know, able to step in and hit things confidently, and that's given him the ability to drive against guys because they're closing out a little harder. Uh, you have these situations where he's driving and kicking in late-game situations, uh, you know, being unselfish. And I know the assist numbers don't say it, but he is passing the ball more. Uh, defensively, he's still got some work to do, but he's definitely going to take the challenge. Uh, it's it's those types of commitments that speak to those veterans. Uh, for example, and, and this has probably been talked to at length, but when I come into the arena, I come in around, I'd say probably about 4.45 um, on, at, at 7 o'clock games. I walk in, and you see, you know, the 10 days, the two ways, they're getting their shots up. Maybe you'll see the occasional, you know, end of the bench guy getting shots up um, or, or watching film with an assistant. Colin's out there with those guys. Colin's out there with, with Dang Adele getting shots up. He's out there with Drum Blossom game getting shots up. That right there, I mean, Colin was the eighth overall pick in the draft. And he's out there with these guys who just got a chance to get into the league. That speaks to the character that he has and the commitment that he has at his craft. And that's exactly why he's come so far, because he's such a hard worker. And it sounds cliche, but that's why they drafted him. No, it's, it's really impressive to me because, I mean, we, we t- joked about it earlier with Arnovitz. Like, e- even with the amount of time that I've spent like following the Cavs, covering them and stuff like that, it, and just the NBA in general, it seems like every young player – gets their work ethic touted like teams will, will rave oh he's a hard worker uh like you, you he's this good now but wait till you see what he becomes like even Dion waiters had the the reputation of a gym rat and that was something that the, the Cavs would try to sell people on um e- even though he came into his first season a little bit overweight uh but we got to see his summer workout video where he's shooting over a guy with a broom and uh, like that would get people hyped up. But it, it seems like this is just a completely different level for Sexton. Um, I, I've, I've mentioned this before, but he took what was essentially his biggest strength or his, the thing he was most comfortable with, which was kind of that mid-range pull-up. And he was able to, at, at 20 years old, recognize, 
hey, my biggest strength is actually a weakness when it comes to the NBA game. And through sheer willpower, I'm going to will myself into becoming a three-point shooter. And just rep after rep after rep, he has completely transformed his game to the point where he he's become a good three-point shooter which completely raises his floor and i tweeted this out yesterday but out of rookies that are 20 years old or younger there's only three that have made over 100 three-pointers in their rookie season and shot over 40 percent and that's mike miller colin sexton and jason tatum like he has turned into a legitimate shooter you beat me to the punch on that tatum stuff yesterday by the way i remember say i saw you tweet that I was waiting for Colin to surpass him in that game with another three, just so I could have trolled everybody. I, which I, 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 I was waiting I, on that as well. Troll. I am not a troll, but I saw that come up and pop up in my alerts. And I was like, oh, please just hit one more because they're playing the Celtics. This would be perfect. I know that Justin would eat this up because that's just, <laughs> that's just you. And I appreciate. And meanwhile, I I already had the drafts ready to go, and and I had his percentage. I I had his running. You had the draft ready to go. I I had a draft ready to go in the third quarter, and I still ended up using it. But I just had to do the the tied in, in three pointers made. Um, but I I had like his totals, and I was ready to add whatever his attempts were to, to try to figure out the percentage uh, before it updates t- today. I guess. Um, but yeah, I I mean it's it's impressive and. Like that was one of the biggest things coming into this year is I just, I philosophically don't like point guards that can't shoot. And that was one of the biggest things that freaked me out about Sexton because that's just typically not a thing that you see guys change. And um, with, with him doing this in year one, in the middle of year one, not even w- during his off season working on his game, uh, it, it makes me kind of feel like the sky's the limit in, in terms of what he can become as a player. Yeah, and it's been, and I'll tell you this, you know, I've I've pretty much since the championship, I've kind of, you know, toned down my fanhood at least a little bit. But let's be honest, you get into this business because you love the game and you love a team, right? Right. So, for me, it's been really fun just watching him come so far, especially because after every three he hits or every big play he makes, he comes back and smiles and is jumping around like a little kid. Like, it's great. It's cool to see him actually have fun because he was so miserable earlier in the year uh, when he was struggling. So seeing the, the fruits of his labor come to, you know, come to fruition, uh, it's, it's really, really fun to see. And the same goes for Jetty, too. Oh yeah, I I mean Jetty is my son. It's it's uh <laughs> it's, it's good. good to see him grow as well. Do you Damn have a, do you have a a preference? Um, going into next season Cavs obviously have two first round picks um Zion clearly the the top guy in this draft but do do you have like kind of a a hope for what this team could be next season whether that is based on who they add through the draft or some sort of summer move that that might get them going in the right direction so I'm curious about next year just because they as soon as the league year is over they have you know quite a few expiring contracts uh, that they could move, and that that includes Brandon Knight, Matthew Delvadova, I believe Tristan Thompson and Jordan Clarkson are in there. Yeah, um, that's correct. So they have they have a number of contracts they could move that could potentially you know give them more assets with a team who's willing to take on you know salary, or, or they're the team that w- willing to take on salary, but a team that wants them, I guess. Um, so I don't know. I don't know where they're going to be. I know that 
it's certainly going to be a lot more optimism to to start off the year um, and knock on wood, you know, no injuries. Um, but if you want my draft perspective, I, I don't know. Are they going to get the number one pick? What do you guys think? It, it feels like a really big long shot. So that that's why I'm prepping for a wing guy. Cause I, I mean, it's an 86% chance they don't get Zion. So there's a reason your boy is in love with Jarrett Culver now. And that's cause mocks have him available at six. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's, Here's what I here's what I hate, uh, which is a a common, you know, a common go to for a lot of people is you know weak draft. I mean, we don't really know yet. I I know that you know you box office is Zion Williamson and box office is Ja Morant, which by the way I absolutely love Ja Morant's game. Um, but you don't know, you don't know until you see it on the floor. We you know there's a lot of people that thought that this past class wasn't that great. Yeah, those and, people. And look how good this class is. Yeah, those you know? people were dumb then. So, yeah, you, you look at the Jarrett Culvers and the DeAndre Hunters and, you know, the R.J. Barrett's, Cam Reddish's, because we haven't seen what Cam Reddish has been able to, to do because he's been stuck on a team with two oh, other – Spencer. Spencer, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out. There's, there's way too much Wiggins there. It scares the hell out of me. Like, I, I <laughs> okay. think this guy would love to be as good as Andrew Wiggins. I, I, really, I really think the Cavs are prioritizing guys with work ethic right now. <laughs> so, for that reason, I, I'm, I'm out on the reddish train. All right, all right. Well, well all I'm saying the is that there's, there's, is, it's deeper. It's deeper than people think. Yeah, that's, uh, that, it's always a really interesting thing. It's really hard to really uh, ascertain value of draft classes. And, you know, what I think tends to happen, I mean, outside of the truly odious, terrible draft classes, uh, which, you know, there are some that just are no good. And, you know, you, there's only like three starters out of the whole stupid thing. Um, but what happens on week ones, typically what that just means is uh, there's more variance uh, in the draft on where you can find successful guys. Uh, it's not, you know, the strong drafts. I mean, this draft, for example, all five of the top five picks all look like bona fide studs. Whereas this one, you know, maybe one is good and then six and 14 and 22, you know, like almost it's very rare that a draft doesn't have, you know, several good starting quality players. It's just a matter of where to find them and how obvious they stand out. Agreed. Agreed. And you can't control the draft lottery, uh, which is, you know, a lot of people. You know, you can do Spencer. What can you do? You cannot change the odds to solve a problem that doesn't exist. (laughs) (laughs) And Hey man, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how this thing shakes out. I'm going to laugh if Dallas gets this number one pick. Do you think anyone in the meetings were like, was just like, wait, no one's watching our worst teams anyway. <laughs> That's that 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 ends the whole discussion, doesn't it? Yeah, that 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 would go a long way, and it really, it just made more teams kind of tank towards the end of the year because now yeah, it's now like we have tanking on ESPN. It's great. Yeah, we we got uh, yeah we got teams at the nine seed that are trying to drop down to eight because it, it helps out their odds and and ultimately like. If you look at the the top four teams in the con in the league right now, the Bucks all late picks for the most part. Toronto Raptors don't have a single top ten pick on their roster. Uh, Golden State, I'm not going to count Durant uh, because it doesn't help my narrative, but uh, a lot of those guys are later picks. Denver Nuggets, like Jamal Murray's, their highest pick at seven. Like 
I, I think how you develop guys and, and the, the culture you kind of said is really big. And I think we're seeing that with Sexton and um, you just kind of have to have confidence that the, the Cavs scouting is going to do a better job now uh, than they did at the Anthony Bennett times. And I mean, they, they found a gem at 31 with Jetty. It seems like they, they found a good guy with Sexton. Um, and uh, even even the ha- quote unquote bad contracts that they uh, they brought in, those are guys that have kind of helped out. Like Brandon Knight's presence has helped. Delhi, Delhi obviously helps. <laughs> Delhi, the the culture setter, and and they're they're bad contracts that became valuable months later because they they turn into expirings. Yeah, yeah, and with this draft too, I think that. That late pick with with Houston, which is probably going to be around you know twenty six, twenty seven, twenty eight, what have you. Yeah. Um. I, I think that they're going to look for a rotational player there, but who knows? Maybe they'll find someone good. You know. Uh. And, and you know some some guys that I I like uh, around that area. I like uh, Matisse Thybul uh, out of Washington. I don't know if, how much you guys have seen him, but that's definitely a defensive minded uh, wing that's really good in in my eyes. Um. You have, you know, Brandon Clark around that area, maybe Grant Williams. Oh, um, if Brandon Clark is there, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be fully torqued, Spencer. I'm, I'm being <laughs> fully torqued. Fully torqued. I'm going to lose blood from my hands. I'm, I, all the blood in my body is going to be redirected to uh, south of the equator. <laughs> but yeah, it's just basically they'll look for a rotational player there. I mean, it all depends on where the pick ends up, but I think that they'll be able to find somebody there. and. As you said, their their staff so far has done a pretty decent job in player development. You you know you got a starter with Jetty, uh, you got a, a solid starter with with Colin right now, and you know it's going up. So I, I think they'll be okay. Absolutely. Well, Spencer, we really do appreciate you coming on and, and giving us your time. I, I, this has been really really fun and informative. Um, and, and I hate to go this way um, with us having such a good time before, but I'm going to get a little bit political. What's your stance on St. Louis style bagels? <laughs> okay. So I was so confused when I saw you put the St. Louis style max player tweet. up. <laughs> I had no idea what was going on, but I saw it got a bunch of retweets and there was a little bit of a ratio there. And I said, what is this? So I typed in St. Louis. Cause obviously you know, people got to keep up with the times. Right. I look up and I see the picture of those sliced bagels. And I'm oh like, what the hell is this? How could you do such a thing? Right. And I was like, what? Yeah. For those that don't know, just search it on Twitter. St. Louis style. Some of the other things have like the, the mocking of it has just absolutely killed me. And friend of the pod, Dave Dufour was trying to be a devil's advocate and defend it saying, well, look, there's so much more surface to, to spread on whatever you want. And I, I'm just having none of it. That, that, can, I, it can I weigh in? Can I play devil's advocate here? Oh God, you're the worst. Go on. Why the hell do people care so much about bagels? You know why? Because I know why. It's because New Yorkers are dicks about bagels. They're like, oh, <laughs> our, our water makes our bagels better. And this like weird New York exceptionalism has somehow made bagels an overvalued part of like the American culinary tradition. Now, let me be clear. <laughs> I love bagels. I think they're delicious. I think they're versatile. I think you can make a great breakfast, Sammy, with them. Um, but like, we treat bagels like we treat bacon. It's like this, like, like this holy. Be grail. careful! Be careful! 
And I just don't understand why anyone would get so worked up. You know what my response to that was? Eat a bagel however the fuck you want. (laughs) (laughs) See, this is exactly why I hopped on the pod. It's these kind of topics that I wanted to address. It's hard-hitting journalism. That's what this is all about. And uh, Carter, I I think you're, you're missing the point, which is the central point to Twitter. Nobody actually cares about oh, anything. Care. <laughs> no, nobody cares as much as they are letting on. And it, it's all about creating a platform and a reason to make jokes. Because, yeah, I mean, if you... Like start- the guy yelled at me for defending fidget spinners. <laughs> <laughs> I did that? No, no. There was a guy. It was my, it's my most, uh, my most retweeted tweet because I tweeted something like, why are people so mad about fidget spinners all the time? Like, cause I didn't really get it. Like I didn't care, but I was just like, why are people so upset? They have these visceral reactions. And this guy's like, cause they're for, cause they're, if you're a kid, fine. But if you're an adult, no way. And I was like, <laughs> I was like uh, but why? And he's like, Oh, so I guess things don't matter. I don't want to hear a peep out of you during the next terrorist attack. <laughs> Took that one from zero to a hundred real quick. hundred percent. So, so, so similar to uh, people's hard feelings about fidget spinners, I don't understand people's hard fidget, hard feelings about bagels. There you go. Well, Carter, I'm very sorry for terrorizing you with my burner count. I was drunk. I, <laughs> it, it, was, it was a long week for me, and I, I just I hate fidget spinners. I, Everybody's got to have a drunk burner account. Let's be honest. They they That's just fair. they just uh, they make my blood boil. But uh, Spencer, really appreciate you coming on. Uh, for all our listeners, if you're not always already following Spencer, do so at Spin Davies on Twitter. Uh, we will be linking him as we tweet out the podcast as well. And if you want to support the podcast, remember you can do so by leave a rating, leave a review, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, cook those books and take advantage of iTunes' terrible system. And uh, until next time, go Cats.